Welcome to the Surge Strength Podcast, powered by Ritter Sports Performance. This podcast is dedicated to helping swim coaches and swimmers learn how to properly implement dry land and strength training programs that result in moving better, reducing injuries, and swimming faster. Let's join your host, Chris Ritter. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Surge Strength Podcast. Hope you're doing well. If you haven't already, check out our article that went up this week on Swim Swam, Dryland Taper, Three Tips for Faster Swimming. And I know this short course season is going to look very different and very uh, diverse in terms of when people are going fast, when maybe they're training through, probably if you're going for trials, that's going to play into it as well. And so we typically do something around taper, give resources out. Uh, We decided to go a little bit earlier this year with that, just knowing that, again, coaches, swimmers are probably on all kinds of different schedules right now. And I think it's always interesting that it gets so nervous around taper time, right? I, I remember as a coach and as a swimmer, those are very nervous times. And so for the podcast today, we're kind of have a a double dose of inside the Surge Strength Academy, talking about goals of the training and then also overtraining and detraining. And I think it's important to understand those aspects of, hey, what's the goal of your training? Why are you doing what you're doing? And I hope by taper time, you are able to answer that question both in your own head and to your swimmers. And then this concept of the overtraining and detraining, understanding that concept and and those principles and how to manipulate the workouts, the load, the intensity on your athletes, whether we're talking on land specifically or in the water, the more you're able to get your hands around that concept, I think you're going to be more confident in taper. So I thought this was a good kind of double bonus to go in the inside the Surge Strength Academy. So no dry land talk for this episode. We're going all in the academy. And remember, if you're new to the podcast, this is pulled directly from the video curriculum that we have in the Surge Strength Dryland Certification, and that's in the Surge Strength Academy. So this is a little sneak peek. So if you're interested, make sure you check that out on our website, surge-strength.com. Scroll on down and you'll be able to click in and check out the certification and all the benefits, all that's involved. It's truly awesome to see the hundreds and hundreds of coaches that are Uh, enrolling in the SSDC or already have earned their SSDC credentials. And it just blows my mind to think where this is going to be in a few years if we have this compounding effect of swim coaches really being able to say that Dryland is now a strength of their program, that they know, they feel confident in what they're doing with Dryland, especially around taper time, right? And I think that Dryland is a great way to for swimmers to feel confident, even if they're not necessarily hitting a specific time or feeling, you know, the feeling in the water. But dry land, I feel like is a much more uh, stable thing. It's not so much about feel as as swimming can kind of get clouded with, oh, how's the athlete feeling today? So I think dry land is a great cornerstone to make sure you're confident going into taper. So I hope you enjoyed this double dip episode into the Surge Strength Academy. We'll see you on the next episode. Inside the Surge Strength Academy. Goals of training is what I'm going to be covering in this lesson. So 
you really need to know before you start, whether it's in the pool or especially on land, what's the goal here? So yeah, you may be able to describe the differences between power, strength, and endurance, but do you know what you really need for your athletes or what your athletes need to improve on to get better? Oftentimes, it's going to be at least one of these or maybe a combination or maybe all. Max strength, trying to maximize power, trying to maximize endurance. So trying to get each of these qualities to the highest. Again, it's probably some combination of them or you're maybe really focused on one or two of them. The problem is, though, that you cannot prioritize everything. It's just not going to work. You don't have the time. You don't have the recoverability of the athletes. They cannot do a max strength session, a max power, and max endurance all in one day or even back-to-back days. So being able to prioritize and juggle that is going to be more your coach's eye and being able to know, okay, through these assessments, through seeing what my athletes are doing, what their goals are, what do we need to prioritize first and then second and then third from there? Because you can't do everything. And a lot of times what that's going to be is through kind of a needs analysis. And we'll get into that more later on in later modules and lessons. But again, just trying to set the foundation for you to understand you can't do everything in training. And so you need to be able to juggle a lot of balls and keep them in the air as you're going. So just because you're focused on improving endurance quality as much as possible, you can't neglect strength. Because we know strength is the base for endurance, right? So you have to kind of keep that ball going too. And guess what? You don't want diminishing returns if all you're doing is endurance. So probably it's good to have some power work in there too, just to have a different stimulus because that actually will help the athlete have better training in endurance because it's different. It's just keeping it fresh. So even just keeping those three balls in the air and being able to juggle, okay, if I want to get better at endurance, I can't completely neglect power or strength work. And so... Just starting to understand that through the needs analysis, you're going to figure out what kind of combination should you be doing. And again, when we get to the part where we're actually writing out the workouts and the season plan and all of that stuff, you'll see how that comes together. But just know now, as we're just going through the principles of strength conditioning, you have to be able to keep your track on all of these. And there are many more actually elements of athleticism that you need to make sure you're addressing in your dryland program. But these are the big three to keep an eye on. And I think it helps narrow down, okay, which one or two do I really want to help my athletes improve on? And don't completely disregard the third one if you have your focus on one or two, because that's going to help, whether it's combating diminishing returns or just keeping training fresh or helping to balance out. Again, you can't neglect strength and think you're going to get better at power and endurance. It doesn't work that way. So those are some of the goals of training and the ideas to think through for your athletes. Again, we'll flush this out a lot more in the coming modules and lessons, but I'm just trying to make sure I set you guys up for that. So you're not surprised when we get there and we're talking about things like that. Like what? We can't do strength all the time. Why not? (laughs) But we still need to be addressing all these things as well. So that's it for the goals of training for this lesson. Inside the Surge Strength Academy. Overtraining and detraining is what I'm going to be talking about in this lesson. We're going to first start with overtraining. And frankly, it's a line that you're going to have to continually walk as a coach if you want your athletes to get better. We know that the body adapts to a stimulus. And so therefore, you need to either be increasing the intensity of the stimulus or the frequency or the type of stimulus, or else you're going to end up with 
diminishing returns as we saw in the specificity principle. But if you go too far trying to thwart diminishing returns, you end up <laughs> dropping down that curve completely and sometimes falling off a cliff and wandering into this overtraining world. Now, overtraining, athletes will sometimes joke, yeah, coach, you know, I'm, I'm overtraining right now. I need to kind of rest up a little bit. There is a long continuum of overtraining, and I want to take some time walking through and explaining this. So in the first one, training overload, that's, that's a session. That's a, a warm-up. That's half a session. If you're not giving the body some kind of alarm, some kind of shock, as we saw in the general adaptation, the body's not going to build resistance to it. And so there's no way to have training that doesn't overtrain a little bit the athlete. And so the first step is just that training overload. Then there's acute fatigue. Now this may build up over a few days. Maybe you have planned out in the water we're gonna be hitting it really hard and we're not gonna ease up on dry land for a few days. That's okay. That's just gonna be accumulating fatigue and you as a coach need to understand where is that getting accounted for? Maybe you're doing like a three-week cycle where it's three weeks really hard and then a week kind of easy and then cycling back through that. The functional overreaching is where it gets to that days to weeks. And that could be an example that I was talking about. Maybe you go really hard for three weeks in a row, but then that fourth week, you let them recover, you let them bounce back, then you hit them hard again for three weeks. Then you let them recover and you bounce back. I have that gray line in there because there's no real great way to understand when you're crossing over. But I think for the most part, there's really no reason to go into this non-functional overreaching because that extends into weeks and months. And if it's weeks and months that the athlete is overreaching, that means they're probably not improving. That means they're probably plateauing, being stale, or worse, dropping down. And that's not going to be helpful for their attitude, their motivation, or their body, physiology-wise. And so that gray line there is just kind of indicate to you, we want as much as possible to stay in that functional overreaching and up part of the continuum. And if you end up with athletes that are in that non-functional overreaching, it may not be your fault. You have to then figure out as a coach, how do I get them a little bit further up on that continuum? And what does that look like? And then when we reach months or more, that is definitely when we're in overtraining syndrome, where you have seen no, not only no improvement, very improvement is different than overtraining. So you may not see improvements. I've worked with swimmers, even at the very elite level, that have not had a best time in years. Now, that doesn't mean they were chronically overtraining. So don't confuse performance and lack of improvement with training. But there are many factors that you can see, okay, is it just they're not hitting their lifetime best yet? Or are they seriously overtraining and not improving? And that's gonna be with little things. You know, if, if they're improving at little things or you could see little things, or if their performance just slowly dropping off or extremely plateau for months, weeks on end, then you maybe need to consider, okay, is this athlete overtraining? But again, don't confuse lack of improvement for a little bit with their overtraining. We just don't want to get into that non-functional or the complete overtraining syndrome on that. One way to do that too is in session or in a phase, you can monitor that with RPE, rate of perceived exertion. So there's a couple scales you could do one to five, one to 10, just ask the athlete, hey, how hard was that today? Keeping track of that. And the performance metrics too. Again, not only in competition, but in training. Are they able to lift 
the same much? Are, are they able to do the same intervals and repeats in the water? What's their rest periods look like? How fatigued are they? And then how does that play into the RPE? And so let's say, for instance, that an athlete has been doing the same intervals, the same weights, a couple of weeks in a row, no problem. But all of a sudden, they're doing the same weight and the same interval. But instead of reporting, oh, you know, that was a five or six RPE, they're like, that's a nine or 10. That was the hardest thing. But the the variables weren't any different. That should be a little bulb going off in your head. Okay, I need to, is this athlete sleeping all right? Is maybe there's some personal stuff going on, other stresses? Because the training has kind of stayed the same, but now all of a sudden their perceived exertion has gone up. Or on the other hand, you know, what you would hope to see is the RP may be dropping a little bit, but the intervals and all the other performance actually are staying the same. So that's a positive sign. That's it's getting easier, but they're doing the same thing. So these are just some simple ways to monitor fatigue. Now, on the other end, we're going to talk about detraining. And this is the principle of reversibility. So basically, any adaptation that you can gain through training it can disappear if the training load is either A, insufficient, or B, completely removed. So you may work really hard to get it, but if you had to work hard to get it, that also means you can lose it. Now, it depends how fast you lose it on a couple of things. What I've found is that it's the background of the athlete going into the detraining stage. So there's going to be a very big difference between, let's say, an athlete that has been strength training for six weeks and then takes a four-week break versus an athlete who has been consistently strength training for two years and takes a four-week break. Now, you may chuckle and say, well, of course, but understanding the big picture of things, the same thing may apply in swimming, right? If you have an athlete who's been consistently training for years and they take one week off versus if you have an athlete that's just come in for eight weeks and they've had some good training over that time and then they take a week off, it can be very different when they're getting back in the water or in the gym. It also depends on how long does that detraining stage last? Are they maybe just doing one session a week? None sessions? Maybe they're doing half sessions? So there's a lot of factors that play into this principle of reversibility. But just understand, if you can gain that adaptation, you can also lose that adaptation. Now, in swimming, I know we're very worried about, okay, if you miss one day in the water, it takes two days to get back. And whether that's true or not, we're not arguing that here. But in dry land, there is a long time, particularly I'm more thinking about the athlete that's trained for two years consistently, right? I'm not going to stick up for the athlete that's only been in the weight room for six weeks and then they take two weeks off, okay? But let's say an athlete has at least six months of consistent training, maybe a few years. If they then didn't lift for four weeks, they could maintain their strength, but the power aspect quickly decreases, even just after a few days of not having that stimulus. And this is where we kind of got into the first taper uh, idea for some coaches on dryland of, hey, let's just completely drop weights weeks out of the meet. And we're gonna explain why that's wrong and the complete wrong approach for your athletes later on. But understand, this is why in some ways, like it wasn't the worst thing in the world because people were able to keep strength for four weeks, but power drops off. So you weren't able to necessarily see all that and the coaches weren't accounting for all of that. But the strength, you can maintain strength for quite a number of weeks after not doing anything. And again, that's as long as you've built up at least some kind of base of strength, right? But understand that power leaves a lot quicker. And in terms of just thinking about athletes detraining and the principle of reversibility, 
Another thing to think about is the longer it took to get to those places of adaptations, the longer it's going to take for it to disappear. So strength, it takes a while to get up to where you're able to squat your body weight or double your body weight, wherever your athletes are at. It's going to take a while. So therefore, it would make sense of that. Now, power is going to drop off a little bit quicker and it still takes time to get power. So that's not a perfect, that's not a perfect one-to-one analogy, but just in general, if it takes a long time for that adaptation to get there, you probably are safer that it's not just going to disappear overnight. But overall, you need to make sure you're patient with the gains. Don't force adaptations. It's going to come. Maybe you need to work on some variability or change the stimulus up a little bit. But adaptations also need to be stable in the long run as much as possible because of this principle of reversibility, that if you're not doing it, you're going to lose it. So the higher level you get, the more intense you get, whether it's conditioning in the pool or strength on land, you want to try to have those adaptations be as stable as possible. And what I mean by that is if you're working on increasing an athlete's strength, when you get to that goal, let's say it's for them to be able to uh, squat their body weight. Once they get there, you don't just say, all right, good, we're done with that. We don't need to worry about that anymore. No, you worked hard to get that adaptation. Now you could just maintain it by doing very little, especially because strength sticks around for such a long time. You could drop your training sessions in half probably and still keep that level of strength. But the body over the long haul, we talked about the long-term athletic development model in an earlier lesson in this module, but in that vein of the long-term athletic de- development model, um, keeping the adaptations as stable as possible is only a good thing for the athlete. So having them get strong and then let it go, having them get real powerful, then let it go, having them get endurance, let it go, this yo-yo effect on the body is not going to be good long-term. So if you're working hard to get at ad- adaptations, then make sure you're at least doing some kind of maintenance work to keep them. And again, that's both conditioning in the water whether they're able to do certain sets or on land doing certain weights, volume, or other exercises, things of that nature. So that covers it for overtraining and detraining for this lesson. Have you joined the Surge Strength Academy yet? It's now free to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy and raise your dry land IQ. Visit surge-strength.com to learn more and enroll today. That's surge-strength.com to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy. The goal of Surge Strength is simple. Build better athletes to generate faster swimmers.